0: It's a natural question to ask when we face disaster and tragedy. We can ask it again now. Where was God when California burned? Thanks friends for joining us this Monday, the beginning of Thanksgiving week here in America. Number to call 866-348-7884. That's 866-348-7884. We're going to talk through a, a very difficult issue today when we're looking at incredible loss of life, terrible human suffering, we don't treat these issues lightly. These are not abstract theological questions that we're going to talk about on the line of fire today. These are deep, weighty life and death issues, families in agony right now, terrible loss being suffered by so many statistics staggering in terms of fires uh, closing in on 80 bodies found. So the remains of, of 80 human beings 77 at this point burned alive, burned in the fire, and then over 1,200 missing. Are there going to be hundreds and hundreds of casualties in this? The worst forest fires in terms of deaths in American history. And it's only fair to ask, well, what does God have to do with this or not have to do with it? And certainly many people in the midst of great loss were crying out, God, where were you? And then we hear of testimonies, miraculous testimonies of people spared, people delivered. So what do we make of this? Again, I will not give cheap and easy answers because we're talking about loss of human life and we're talking about the reputation of God. And there are some who would make a biblical case and say it's it's very simple Whatever happens in this world, God is involved with it. Nothing happens outside of his control, outside of his will, whether it's a child being born, whether it's someone dying in a fire. There are many that would hold to that view and and would have scripture they feel would support that. That to me is not a cheap answer, by the way. That to me is an answer where someone is giving their biblical perspective. Others would say this is divine judgment on sinful California and I understand where they'd be coming from and even scripture behind that. But when we're talking about human lives being lost, when we're talking about people that we don't know personally, moms and dads and children and elderly and, and others, I don't know the, the list of, of all those involved. And then all those that lost homes, are we, we're saying they're, they're all guilty. Are they more guilty than any other human beings? Shouldn't everyone experience judgment then if it's just a matter of human guilt? I'm not saying it's a cheap answer. I'm simply saying we need to be very careful before we say those things. Others would blame it on the devil. Others would blame it on human mismanagement. Others would simply say we don't have an answer, but what we can do is bring a redemptive message. So I want to talk those things through with you today and be as constructive as possible. If you believe there's a clear scriptural answer, by all means, weigh in 866-348-7884. But I want to give you a a dictum, uh, a saying that became well known when dealing with the tragedy of the Holocaust, which, of course, is on a totally different uh, level proportionately to the California forest fires. And you were talking there about human evil as opposed to a natural disaster. Or this may not have been a natural disaster. What, what if there was a problem with power lines that wasn't addressed, or, or something else going on? But let's let's just say it was a natural disaster, and certainly no rain came to stop the fires. So you're talking about human evil, people doing things to other people versus versus a natural disaster, but still the question would be asked, well, where was God during the Holocaust? And various answers would be given, and Jewish theologians would have answers, and Christian theologians, and others would present their views, and they'd present them with a degree of of reverence and care, knowing the enormity of of the tragedy involved. But there was a saying, I believe it was Rabbi uh, Yitz Greenberg, who basically said this, whatever explanation you're going to come up with, you have to be able to do it in the face of the the burning babies in the Holocaust. In, in other words, if you're going to have some cheap answer, a quick answer to the problem of theodicy and human suffering and where God and divine justice and intervention and those kinds of things. And you want to simply explain, okay, this is why the Holocaust happened. Whatever explanation you give, you better be able to give it in the presence of the babies that were thrown alive into the burning fires rather than waste a bullet on them. It better work in their presence. So in the same way today, but again, not at that same proportion, the same way today, I'd say whatever answer we have, we have to be able to give that answer in the presence of grieving families, in the presence of those who've lost everything in terms of possessions and far, far worse, those who've lost loved ones or those who've suffered severe injury. These are weighty, weighty issues that we do not address lightly. Are we all in agreement about that? 866 348784 I also want to share some other reflections with you that I think will help us in the midst of this volatile political environment in which we live help us to step higher as believers it ties in with my latest article that explains that I identify as a follower of Jesus far more than I identify as an older white male conservative although I am an older white male conservative I identify as a follower of Jesus in terms of my sense of, of who I am, what fuels my values, what, what causes me to make the decisions I make, why I stand on certain sides of certain issues. We'll get into that as well. All right. Let's, let's first look at Isaiah chapter 45 verse seven. Isaiah chapter 45 verse seven. Um, this verse in the Tree of Life version says this, speaking of the Lord, I form light and create darkness. I make shalom and create calamity. I, Adonai, I, the Lord, do all these things. So, so note, I form light and create darkness. I make shalom, peace, well-being, bring that about and create calamity. I, Adonai, do all these things. Now, If you had read this in the King James, it would have said, instead of creating calamity, it would have said creating evil. So the notion would be, based on that translation, that God somehow is responsible for evil. Now, it's really a mistranslation. With all the beauty of the King James, it does have errors, and there's certainly many Translation errors that you're going to find. You're going to dispute how certain things are translated in any version. But the Hebrew word ra occurs in two forms, ra and ra, masculine and feminine. And they can be used in different contexts, but the same meaning. Ra fundamentally means something bad. Now, it can be morally bad. It can just be bad in terms of a bad apple, right? So one thing is you go to, look at that apple. Oh, apple's bad. You throw it away. Another thing is you say, oh, that person is bad. So when human beings do ra, they do evil. When God does ra, he brings about disaster. In other words, God does not do evil ever. All right. So when you have it translated, it's the same Hebrew word. And I had to work through this in my commentary in Jeremiah just to fundamentally understand, okay, it it means something bad and it can have a moral dimension or just a natural dimension. So God does not create evil just to be a hundred percent plain. That's why virtually every translation you'll see for centuries gets that right and doesn't attribute it evil to God. Rather the same one who brings about peace and well-being also brings about calamity he brings about calamity in answer to human sin not just some random thing that he does because he's got nothing else to do and just wants to create a little you know a little ruckus here on the earth a little excitement no no that's not it rather when human beings do ra when they do things that are evil that are immoral that are ungodly that are unjust God will sometimes judge and he will bring about Ra because of our Ra. He will bring about disaster, calamity to answer for the evil we have done. In other words, we reap what we sow. So I just want to put that out first to say, no, you cannot say that God creates evil. That is unscriptural. We have other verses telling us, for example, James, Jacob, the first chapter uh, reminds us that, that God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt us with evil. We know in First John that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Those things we know. What about the book of Lamentations? Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of the pain of exile and the devastation and destruction of Jerusalem, one of the darkest times in the history of our Jewish people of the people of Israel. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 and 38, it says this, Who speaks, and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of Elion the Most High, that both calamities and good things proceed? But if we, if we just look back a few verses before that, I want you to see something very interesting. If you look back in Lamentations 3 and you start just a few verses before that, it makes clear that God does not lightly crush and judge. Verse 33, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the sons of men to crush under his foot all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a person of justice before the face of Elion, to defraud a person in his lawsuit. Would the Lord not see? So when you see human evil, And injustice, don't don't say that God is doing that, that God is oppressing people, or that God is even bringing affliction in some lighthearted manner. On the other hand, the text is saying that if something comes to, you, you see something come to pass, some major event, maybe a city falls. Well, that didn't happen without the Lord's active involvement. Either he allowed it or he actually decreed it. So my Calvinist friends would say, Look, the reason the California fires happen is because God ordained it. Just like he ordained all the days without fires, just like he ordained the days of rain and then the days of too much rain, so we had flooding. Just like he ordained the calm store, the the calm skies, he also ordained the thunderous skies and the hurricanes and tornadoes, the Calvinists would say he is God and He's sovereign. understand that view we'll think about it in terms of california we come back but again always with heavy hearts because of the victims of this tragedy we'll be right back
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line
0: of Fire. One thing that we try to do here with you is think through difficult social, moral, cultural issues from a biblical perspective. Look at what's happening in the world around us. Look at the Word and seek to bring God's wisdom into the situation. So as we talk about the tragic loss of life in California, people can wonder, well, why didn't God send rain? Or did God send the fire? Or are the fires the result of human mismanagement? Or is this an attack of the devil? Or is California especially sinful? Again, I just would urge that you don't just throw around theology at a time like this when people are grieving and there's massive loss. You say, yeah, but this is prophetic. Paradise burning. Well, it it gets our attention. Paradise, California, small community, literally wiped out by the fires and and more bodies, remains keep being found. I just saw a report earlier, uh, maybe it was as of last night, but I just read it this morning, that with potential rains coming, that that people looking for remains of bodies, try, you know, a bone, a fragment, something that would indicate that there is a human being that was killed here and then trying to get DNA samples, the things that with the rain coming in, it could be more difficult and they're hurrying to get this done. And they've got dogs that, that are trained to smell human remains. It's, it's just, it's ghastly. It's, it's agonizing. I mean, I, I, I can't relate to it having never been through it. You see the videos of people driving through the flames. You imagine the terror of that death itself is bad enough, but being burned alive. I mean, just it's, it's, these are terrible, terrible things to contemplate. So all I'm saying is let's, let's not just throw around theology here. Like we're sitting around having a debate about, you know, some abstract eschatological thing. And when exactly do we believe this particular thing is going to happen? No, no, we're talking about human life and loss of life and, and, And again, the character and reputation of God. My friend, Dr. James White, got attacked by a number of people. Well, we always get attacked for different stance. We take Dr. White and myself, many others do as well. But when he commented after the Las Vegas shooting that it happened because God ordained it. So in his mind, if I, I think I'm quoting him correctly, in his mind, these things don't happen apart from the ordained will of God. And I saw a video where John Piper was asked about the killing of the Canaanites and and babies being killed and children being killed and women being killed who are non-combatants. And John Piper's response was, God has the right to kill anyone at any time. And ultimately, in terms of human beings being guilty in the sight of God, I I understand that. I understand that. But in a case like this, I want to go back to to 9-11, 866 Three, four truth. I want to go back to 9 11. When we suffered the worst terrorist attack in our nation's history, and so many grieving, and the nation just rattled by what took place, and our own family suffering a loss, my, my wife's brother Douglas kill it, being killed that day, leaving behind a wife and two small children. And I, I was putting together my thoughts to send out uh, an email with perspectives on what happened and trying to give some level of divine insight. And uh, Nancy said to me, what are you working on there? I said, well, just writing up some some thoughts, some spiritual thoughts in response to 9-11 and what may have been happening behind the scenes. And she said, "Did, did God really speak to you about that? Are you sure that you have insight from the Lord on that? I said, well, you know, everybody's sending out their, their newsletters and their emails and their their prophetic insights and their, their spiritual thoughts and people are looking to me, you know, in terms of what's my perspective. I feel I need to say something. He said, did God really tell you to say something? I said, well, I'm going to have some thoughts. He said, you better pray about it more. Well, I, I never wrote anything specifically about 9-11 because I had thoughts, but I didn't have something where I could definitively say it happened because of this, or without a doubt, God removed the standard protection, or whatever. I, yeah, there are many things I've spoken about relating to nine eleven, absolutely, but not specifically saying, okay, here are divine insights. So, I I fully respect my Calvinist friends who say, look, whatever happens happened because it was ordained by God, and I I differ with that, and they may not all say it exactly like that. I, I differ with that for a number of reasons. But I understand there are verses that you could quote and say, hey, look, this points to it or for example, Amos, the third chapter, Amos chapter three, in, in the midst of judgment passages, it says this, verse six, again, reading from the Tree of Life version, if a shofar alarm sounds in a city, will people not tremble? If there is calamity in the city, has not Adonai, has not the Lord caused it? For the Lord Adonai will do nothing unless he has revealed this counsel to his servants, the prophets, the lion is roared who will not fear. My Lord Adonai has spoken who shall not prophesy. So uh, some, some would say, look, there's another verse. If there's calamity in a city, the Lord is behind it. Or did that apply just to ancient Israel? When God was warning through the prophets, warning, 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 they didn't hear. And then judgment came. So, What do we do in the New Testament, for example, when there's a a terrible storm, when Jesus is, is at sea with the disciples, they're in the Sea of Galilee in a boat, there's a terrible storm and the Lord gets up and Yeshua rebukes the wind and the waves. What do we make of that? Was he rebuking the will of God? Was that just something natural, a natural squall that happened because of weather conditions? Was it Satan stirring it up? There's no sea in the new heaven and the new earth, sea often associated with wickedness and chaos. So some would bring that up. Uh, Others would say, look, Jesus said in Matthew 10, that a sparrow falls to the ground without your heavenly father. Doesn't mean without him knowing, without him willing it. Those are fair questions to ask. And then the book of Job, where we see horrific things happening to a righteous man, he's never given the answer for it. But in the end, in the end, God turns it around for good. Should that just be our emphasis? God is good. God is loving. God is gracious. Every human being, yes, could be judged by God. We, we could all die in a calamity today and God could say, well, you got what you deserved. When people came to Jesus in Luke, the 13th chapter, and we're talking to him about a tower in Siloam fell on people and killed them. He said, you think they're more wicked than anyone else? Unless you repent, you're all going to perish. So we could say there's universal human wickedness and therefore whatever happens we deserve, but then God graciously intervenes and, and God causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust and all things to, to think through. Here's where I'm at right now. I've been reflecting on this, thinking about it, trying to wrap my mind around the level of devastation and loss and pain. And I've also read arguments, just saw a new one today, that there is mismanagement, that environmentalist, uh, environmentalist activists have pushed really hard for certain for the, the forest not to be touched, etc. And if you did burns at certain points, and if it was better managed, then the forest fires would not have raged out of control, and it's human mismanagement. What if it's human mismanagement and we're just suffering the effects of that and now people are going to blame it on God or blame it on the devil or say it's an act of judgment? What if it was simply human mismanagement and God allows human beings to suffer the the fate of their, their choices? If there had been specific prophetic warning to specific cities or to the state, clear prophetic warnings, unless you repent of your evil ways, this and this will happen, then I would be very, very, very slow to say this is an act of divine judgment. And if judgment begins with the household of God, right, First Peter 4, then why isn't it starting first and foremost in the churches? Because we've been more guilty than anyone. We've had more light. We're more accountable than anyone. When all of our buildings going up in, in flames, it's, it's a fair question to ask. And because we know that God allows here, I, I'm, I'm going to wa- watch this if, if you're, or just listen. There you go. I just dropped a pen. God allowed that, right? This is law of gravity. Yeah. But anything to happen, God has to allow to happen. He has to allow the laws to work naturally and people to make decisions, et o- Otherwise nothing would happen. So he has set things up in such a way that many things happen on the earth that grieve him. Many things happen on the earth that, that he explicitly says, I had nothing to do with this. This is, this is not my heart at all. Human wickedness and things like that. And how much is this simply a matter of human beings making bad envir- em- environmental decisions? The climate change, people would say, hey, this is a result of bad human decisions bringing about climate change, which has brought, brought about these conditions, for this to happen. others would say, no, no, it's the environmentalist activists and their policies that cause this to happen. If you look at Finland, if you look at Germany with all their forests and people living there, they have ways of managing things and obviously different climate, et cetera. I understand that, but they have ways of managing things that work much better. And we haven't managed properly. I don't know. I don't know. My position, my position right now, without further divine insight, because of the possibility of, human involvement in all of these things, my position is to bring a message of redemption and restoration and hope. And to say, regardless of the cause, if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, he'll turn this horrific loss and this horrific tragedy around for lasting good. Oh, it, it doesn't bring back the lives of, of those that were lost and it, it doesn't minimize the tragedy. But God is a redeemer. And even with Joseph, he told his brothers, you meant it for evil. You had evil intent when you sold me into slavery, but God meant it for good. I'll come back with interesting counsel from a rabbi about this. We'll take your calls as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Deborah, you'll be next. Stay right here.
1: The Line of Fire, with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks, friends, for joining us on today's Line of Fire broadcast. I've been mulling this over for some days now. I may write on it still. The question of where was God during the California forest fires? As as we get more and more statistics, we're, we're talking about lives, we're talking about people, we're talking about... Could be your neighbor, your mother, your father, your child, or a grandparent, or a grandchild. Almost eighty remains found so far. So these are people burned alive, some trying to flee in their cars, others still in their homes. Were they did they not have ample notice? Did they try to get things together and and get out? And the fires just were, were way more than what was expected. Either way, these are horrific losses and number of missing over twelve hundred. So again, the worst forest fires in terms of casualties in our nation's history, and people are pointing fingers back and forth, Uh, those on the left saying to those on the right, it's because you're denying climate change, and this is the result of climate change, and it's bad policies that cause these things to happen. Is on the right pointing to the left and say it's you it's you radical leftist environmentalists that you don't let us care for the, the forests properly and manage them properly and, and do proper burns at certain times. Because of that, we have this terrible loss. But as believers, our big question was, what about the Lord in the midst of all this? 866-348-7884. That's 866-34 Truth. We don't talk about these things lightly. And Deuteronomy 29-29 reminds us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things that are open and revealed belong to us and to our children to do all the words of this teaching. There is a famous rabbi died twenty-something years ago, who lost many family members in the Holocaust, who had family before that who suffered greatly under communism in the Soviet Union or in Russia. And over the decades, really did suffer tremendous loss and people very close to him suffered tremendous loss. His view was that whatever the tragedy is, you have to work all the more diligently to bring something good out of it so that the very memory of it ends up being more positive than negative. Yeah, this was the day that this tragedy happened and our, our family home went up in the fire and the, and the dog was killed and our, our neighbor's elderly parents were killed. I mean, just ter- terrible, 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 terrible. But ultimately, so much good comes out of it and new policies or new things learned. And now thousands and thousands of lives are saved that you end up remembering this in a bittersweet way, painful, agonizing, but good came out of it. What I would counsel here is not to be so quick to speak theologically. It's judgment. California is wicked. Just be careful before you speak these things because you're talking about fellow human beings who are burned to death in a fire. All right. Before you ascribe blame to the left or to the right, do it with some circumspection. We're not just talking about a political conflict here. We're not just talking about abstract theology. And your theology may be everything that happens has a purpose, a benevolent God, a fair God, a just God, a holy God is in the midst of all of it. And I understand that's your theology. And I respect that theology and know the scriptures that you draw it from. I have a a somewhat different perspective, but not one that puts God absent, just kind of watching like, well, what a shame. Sorry, I couldn't do anything about it, but it's just up to the human beings to run the earth and the devil, you know, he kind of does what he does and God's sitting by idly wishing and hoping. No, I don't believe in that God either. I would just say whatever your theology is, you should be able to bring a message to suffering people that is a message that is redemptive, a message that is hope-filled, a message that finds a way to bring good out of evil and, and, a message that can bring hope out of calamity. Uh, I'm looking at an article on Billy Graham.org. Chaplains witness three testimonies of God's faithfulness in the fire. And it goes on with some very, very personal instances here of God's faithfulness in the midst of the fire. And I I didn't get to watch this, but there is a video link I was sent that was talking about miracles that happen in the midst of the fire. So certainly God is not absent. He is working miracles in the midst of calamity, and he's giving signs of tangible hope in the midst of calamity. My appeal is that our message is one that's ultimately redemptive. If this was an act of divine judgment, my understanding would be that God would give clear enough notice or clear enough signs that we would therefore recognize it and we would know what we need to repent from. During uh, at the beginning of a major, very decadent, gay pride event that would take place every year, every year in New Orleans, Southern decadence, right? That, that says enough. Well, Hurricane Katrina wiped the thing out. And instead of the mayor launching Southern decadence, instead, he called for prayer for the city. That sounds like clear divine judgment. Well, then people, locals there told me, you know, the bad part of the city where all like the real raunchy stuff goes on. That was untouched. And other parts got wiped out. Well, how are you going to explain that? And someone else said, isn't that the time of the year that hurricanes normally come? And wasn't there an issue of of they didn't take care of the dams properly? So when we're talking about loss of human life, when we're talking about divine judgment, we just need to speak carefully. And then in the midst of it, say, look, I don't know why certain things happen, but I know that God is the rebuilder of broken lives. I know that God is the restorer of the brokenhearted. And I know that God can bring good out of human evil, human acts of evil and sin. God can bring good out of it despite our sin. God can turn what Satan means for evil, turn it around for good. And and things that may not be explained to us, like these disasters, God can bring good and life out of it, and that must be our emphasis. I'm not saying God hasn't spoken clearly to some about these things. I'm simply saying, I'm not one of them, and therefore, I'm approaching this as best as I can, biblically and redemptively. 866 for truth. Uh, Let's go to Deborah in Minnesota. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
2: Thanks so much, Dr. Brown. I just want to thank you for everything you've said. And so much of what you're saying right now reminds me of what you wrote in, I can't remember which book, about the Holocaust, when you kind of were trying to answer it as best you could in the same way. So beautiful, so thorough, and I agree so completely that the critical thing is knowing the heart of God, that even if something is a judgment, or even if something is caused by someone's own rebellion, or if something's human error or natural causes, no matter what the cause, God's heart breaks with the brokenhearted. When he does have to bring judgment, his heart is breaking. He would that we would have listened and repented first. And I'm not saying anything about the fires. I don't know anything of, of what that was or wasn't, and I just grieve for the lost. My family and I have suffered horrendous losses,
3: suicide,
2: mm. murders, extreme loss. And all mm. I know is you could, you could come from any of these angles with all of that, too. And, and what God, like you said, cares most about is that we know His heart of redemption. And that, like you say, bringing something good, even out of my son's death, if, if I didn't have God helping me bring life out of that and using that to to help um, declare the goodness of, Je- of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus Christ, um, bringing life out of it, um, I would absolutely go insane. Mm. Um, so I'm so grateful for everything you're saying. And another take, too, is our intercession matters. Yes. There are things that are judgments and can be avoided, because God is speaking to his people. And so often we're not listening or we're just not able to hear. Yeah. And,
0: yeah, and there again that, is um, yeah, the, the human responsibility in, in working with the Lord as, as well. When, when he calls us into the end of Ezekiel 22 being an example where God was looking for someone to, to stand in the gap, to climb into the breach and found none. So he brought judgment. Deborah, since, since you've spoken so openly, uh, how did you lose your son?
2: It was a suicide, um, and, and, a bullet to the head.
0: Mm, um, how how old was he?
2: He was twenty one. He was on his way to Israel. Um, just wanted to. He took Hebrew lessons. All oh, he cared. He wanted to go and do anything he could to bring the love of Jesus to our Jewish brethren. That was mm. his heart. And then oh we my. get the phone call. That he. Was how many years it. ago
0: was that, Deborah? Fifteen. Yeah. So so the. The thing that only someone who's gone through what you've gone through can, can tell us is that although God didn't stop it from happening, God was right there with you in the midst of the agony. That would be your testimony, right? Well,
2: that and, and I mean, and the questions, of course, are there. And, and the, the answer is only that many factors were involved. And many factors were involved that we have no idea of knowing about, yeah. but um, but that he honors every life. Every life is precious to him. And right now, I mean, speaking of Israel, and I know you don't fully agree with what I'm about to say, but I'm on another fast very concerned about this peace deal, very concerned it could bring judgment. So as an intercessor, my cry even today was, Lord, there are many people who've never even been told about God's covenant with Israel, God's covenant with the land. They don't know the scriptures. Lord, if a judgment's going to come, I don't want anyone to suffer a judgment that hasn't even been informed or given opportunity to understand or to to. Defend, you know, through prayer, through repentance, joining in your heart, trying to get the word out, trying to help people understand. Uh, so, as an intercessor, it's my job to cry out and 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 say, Lord, spare your people. Lord, help mm-hmm. us. Give us the time we need to wake up to respond to you the way we need to respond, so you don't have to bring judgment. So I'm just crying out for for God to help all of us, especially the body of Christ, who who you know, loves the word and should know the word, that we would just pray according to his will about Mm -hmm. that whole peace deal and about protecting his covenant and about obeying him.
0: Um, Deborah, I've I've got I've got to, yeah, I'm sorry. I have to jump in because we've got a break right here. Uh, And thanks for sharing your heart about Israel as well. Friends, those are weighty words. If not for God's grace you wouldn't be talking on the phone with faith and with courage in our weakness, in our hopelessness. He is strong. He remains faithful. We'll be right back.
1: It's the line of fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Welcome back, friends, to the line of fire. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. That's what we seek to do five days a week on the radio, then seven days a week through social media, internet through articles, books, preaching, teaching to serve you, to equip you, to help you. If you appreciate what we're doing, if we've been a blessing to you, I just want to appeal to you from my heart. Help us with a year-end tax-deductible donation. I know you get lots of appeals, but ours is worthy as well. By God's grace, we're helping a lot of people with your help and support. To stand with us, go to Ask Dr. Brown ASKDRBrown.org. Click on Donate. Paul went through tremendous hardship. These were not natural disasters, but this was persecution and suffering because of, of others that opposed him. And in 2 Corinthians 1, he wrote about it. And in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, he, he said that it felt like we had the sentence of death on us, that, that there was no hope and we were going to die. But he said this, he said, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves But on God who raises the dead, he who rescued us from so great a danger will continue to rescue us. We have set our hope on him that he will rescue us again. You also are helping by your prayer for us so that for many people, thanks may be given on our behalf for the gracious gift given us through the help of many. So we said earlier in the chapter that we receive comfort. Now we can comfort those who are afflicted. Your prayers helped us in the midst of our suffering. Now we can help others. You say, well, hey, I got a better solution. Because nobody has to suffer, therefore no one has to comfort the sufferers. That's not what's going to happen in this world. Until Jesus returns, there's going to be suffering, pain, tragedy on this earth. And out of it, God will bring life in the midst of death, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship. I want to go back to the phones. If I don't get a chance to get into this today, I strongly encourage you to read my latest article at AskDrBrown.org. I identify as a Jesus follower far more than as an older, white, male, conservative American. I think you'll find it really, really helpful and will give you a really good perspective. And, and let's take hold of these things, especially over Thanksgiving. A lot of you are going to be getting together with families, and some are going to have bad Thanksgivings because of political conflict. It's going to happen. So these are some ways we can avoid things if we major on the majors. In terms of our relationship with God and following Him. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Arizona. Daniel, welcome to the line of fire.
3: Hello, Dr. Brown. Um, Hello. I wanted to say first, you, can, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say uh, that, you know, I am glad that uh, I do get to support your ministry. It's uh, invaluable, you know, it's, Uh, To me, it's precious, you know, there's so many different things that you do, uh, by the grace of God, of course, and uh, that others are not doing, and that uh, perhaps even maybe they were not given the grace to do those things. So I thank God for that, Um, and I I thank God that I'm able to share that we, uh, you know, financially support you. So in John 9, like you're saying, Christ does say, let's not be focusing on who sins, But a redemptive edge is, you know, that we can work the works of God as a result of this thing that has gone on. So um, that's one thing. And the other thing was, um, you were mentioning how, you know, if you drop a pen, it's God. And and I was going to say, like, I saw that in Deuteronomy 28. He says, you know, if you don't obey my commandments, these curses are going to come on you. You're going to have diseases. But... If you look at it, if you disobey the commandments of God, anyone, not even not a Jew and a Gentile, if they, for instance, have relations, you know, God forbid, with an animal or something, like God says not to do, they're going to get a disease. And then God says that that's God. So it's like what we call biology, you know, just what we call normative biology, God says, yeah, that's me. So.
0: Yeah, and Daniel. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that. And and first, uh, thank you so much for your support. Really, I appreciate that. Our team appreciates that, and for your kind words, thank you so much for that. And for those that missed what what Daniel was was saying about dropping a pen, I just used this illustration. There, you hear a pen drop. So I dropped out of my hand. Well, technically, God allowed that. Right? He didn't stop it. He didn't intercept it. You said, Well, yeah, that's laws of gravity. Right, right, but he allowed it to happen. So when we say God allowed it, well, he allows everything in that respect. But he says in Galatians 6, God's not mocked, whatever we sow will reap. So he said, What does that have to do with God being mocked? Because people think, well, I'm just do whatever I want to do and God's not going to get involved. And he's saying, Well, I actually set up a system where you reap what you sow. But Daniel, I'm so glad you brought up John 9. It's a text I've often preached from. And in fact, maybe where I end up going with an article on this, John 9 and John 11. So here's the man born blind, right? And you could make a good case based on Old Testament theology that somebody sinned somewhere for him to be blind. Either his parents sinned or he sinned when he was in the womb. Some Jewish teaching would reflect that. So who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Yeshua answers verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the works of God might be brought to light in him. We must do the work of the one who sent me so long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he doesn't actually say who did it. He doesn't say that he just says he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin. That's not The, the, the blindness is not the result of sin, specific sin in this case, Right? Well, did the devil do it? Well, did did God do it? Jesus doesn't answer that. He says, this happened so that the works of God might be made manifest. In other words, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And and let's walk in the light, not in the darkness. And in John 11, with the death of, of Lazarus, Jesus waits until he dies, gets words that he's sick, then he waits until he's dead. Then he goes and, and says, this happened so that God would be glorified. So this is how we need to look at calamity, disaster. Unless we have clear scriptural indication of cause, unless we have clear natural explanation of cause, then ultimately what we have to say is, I don't know why this happened. I can tell you why a terrorist attack happened because human beings are bent on evil and there's a devil inspiring them. Say, why does God allow it? Because he allows human beings to make choices. If he intervenes to stop our choices, that would be the end of the human race. All human activity would stop right here. He intervenes in the midst of human choices to carry out his will and his plan, and and he works as he wills. But as far as day-to-day life and activity, you make certain choices and you bear responsibility for them. And unless God lobotomizes the entire human race and makes it impossible for us to to think clearly and choose, then people are going to suffer the consequences of choices. And a kid raised in an ungodly home could suffer for that. That's human responsibility. But regardless of why something happened, God can bring good out of it. God can bring good out of it. And that needs to be our focus right now, redemptively, in terms of California. Uh, yeah, I've got time for another call. We'll go to Texas, uh, Jericho. Welcome back to the line of fire. Shalom, Dr. Brown. Shalom, Sir, so it's, good, it's good to hear your voice. Um, I have a quick question. I you don't have much time left, but um, you know with Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham, God brought judgment upon, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. How do you distinguish between events that happen, like in California with the fires breaking out naturalistically versus you know that this is God's judgment upon a nation or a culture? Yeah, so number one, there was clear divine warning for Sodom and Gomorrah, where God says at the end of Genesis 18, can I withhold from Abraham what I'm going to do? So he shares that. Abraham, we're told in Genesis 20, is a prophet. So God shares those things. Amos 3, the Lord God will do nothing without telling his servants the prophets. So at the very least, from an Old Testament perspective, there would be a forewarning from God, at least for his people or for those close to his people. So that's the first thing. There was Explicit forewarning about this. That's one. Two, there was not a natural explanation for fire and brimstone coming down from heaven and wiping out a city or Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. Whereas there is a very, there may be, let me be careful. There may be very easy, natural explanations. When I say easy, I don't mean easy in terms of takes away the pain but I mean, it could be something simple. What if there are environmental issues that were not being addressed? What if environment, you know, what if it's the fault of the right, the fault of the left? What if there are simple answers there? So, number one, Solomon Gomorrah forewarned angels coming, telling Lot and his family to get out. Abraham given the opportunity to intercede. Prophets being told in advance of a calamity or disaster. That's one. Two, there's no natural explanation for it. Just like number 16, when the earth opens up and swallows up Korach and his followers. And and Moses literally says, if the earth creates a new thing, something happens that never happened before. If that's the case, then it's only a divine explanation for it. God's making that plain. So that's that's a second thing. Uh, a third thing would be, let's say uh, when you had a tornado sweep through Minnesota and knock over the steeple of a church building where right down the block, there was a convening of Lutheran leaders to say that they were now going to ordain or accept same-sex couples or practicing homosexuals into ministry. And right as that is going on, something that shouldn't have happened at that time. In other words, there was no weather pattern for it. It had not happened before or since. It sweeps through and knocks over the steeple. That's going to get your attention. Those kinds of things. But otherwise, we've got to be very careful before we speak. All right, friends, back with you tomorrow. In the meantime, visit AskDrBrown.org.